Hello, everybody. It's been a while. Uh, it's been good. It's been purposeful, but it's been a while. Well, this is going to be a first. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Um, you know, I have been a big believer in Doctrine and Covenants section 84, uh, verse 85 for a long time. Um, and I have given many talks in church when I <laughs> was allowed to speak in church. Um, and uh, I, I lived my life by just by DNC 8485, which is neither take ye thought beforehand what you shall speak, but treasure up in your minds continually the words of life. And it shall be given you in the very hour that portion which should be meted unto every man. So normally, though, interestingly, when I've done podcasts in the past, I've usually got a pretty clear message that I'm going to try to articulate. Um, and I have some thoughts and some impressions on some things that I want to talk about. But, uh, but really, I don't know even what the title of this is going to be. Um, I think it's coming to me right now. Uh, I think I'll call this normalizing the abnormal. Um, the, the abnormal part of the, of the disciples journey is, is the challenge, right? It's the, it's the challenge of living in a telestial world while having a terrestrial or even celestial understanding as far as how things are. Um, and then figuring out or remembering probably is a better term, how to stay in charity in that process. So much has happened since the last podcast that it's kind of hard for me to really articulate um, all the emotions and everything that I've been through. Uh, I've been through some periods of anger and I wouldn't say rage, but definitely some periods of intense anger with the things that are happening, uh, with the absolute doubling down on evil that the political leadership of the world at large, especially the United States, <clears throat> have made with mandates, vaccination mandates, mask mandates. Um, this is a, an outright attack on freedom. Um, we don't even have the freedom of choice on what we put in our bodies anymore. Interesting how those in the, in the world of abortion have said, my body, my rights, right? And now the same people, um, some of them, not all of them, are, um, are now trying to, to nullify my rights to my own body uh, by hanging employment over my head. And uh, we can see where this is going. <clears throat> Rest assured, brothers and sisters, I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that evil will always double down on evil. They're not going to stop. Um, the political leaders, the world leaders, the eventual materialization of the Antichrist, the actual Antichrist, the, the, the number one guy. There's several of his minions that are publicly known on who they are, um, but the actual Antichrist, uh, the guy um, who will square off against God and his servant and the servants, um, he has yet to to make his appearance. We may know who he is, but I don't. I don't know who he is. Um, I have some thoughts and feelings, uh, and there are several candidates that come to mind. I don't need to waste our energy and energy and time on that but <clears throat> rest assured brothers and sisters they will continue to double down on evil and become more oppressive and uh, continue to abuse the saints and 
the true followers of God. So just expect it. And I think that that um, in and of itself falls in line with the title of this podcast, right? Normalizing the abnormal. Um, We've had relative peace and a relative amount of freedom for a long time. In the world at large, although in some places someone could argue that, you know, there's there's less freedom in in some places than others, but here in the United States specifically, um, and Canada, North America, we've been relatively free for a long time, free of oppression and free of, you know, of the curses um, that come on those who choose evil. Um, And we've arrived. We are now in a place where people are um, giving up their their agency, their right to choose in order to stay in a place of peace with those who look to take away agency. Um, And that's challenging. I will also tell you and testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that the church and the brethren and the leaders of the church are not done doubling down on what they're going to do. They will continue. Um, They have made false statements regarding the vaccination, calling it safe and effective. Um, They clearly have no intentions of trying to explain to saints who are wanting to know um, why we are supporting and pushing a vaccination that was developed by the process of aborted fetal tissue, use of aborted fetal tissue. Um, And I said in a previous podcast that their covenant with death, they will stick to it. They will continue to double down as the federal government pushes they will continue to fall in line with that. Um, interestingly, um, Elder Stevenson is, uh, I just saw a recent article about this, uh, is uh, pretty much a billionaire at this point. Uh, money that he made through investments that all had to do with COVID-19 um, and this pandemic, this perpetuation of covenant of death upon the earth. Uh we are somewhere near 30,000 deaths, recorded deaths from the vaccination, um, 280,000, uh, I believe, um, injuries, serious injuries from the vaccination. Um, clearly, brothers and sisters, the brethren are going to continue to double down on that. Um, you know, it's interesting, I've said this before, right, that even the very elect will be deceived in the end times. And people say that about me and that's okay, but I'm not elect, especially not elect in the context of a church. Um, I may be an elect of God. I hope to be, I hope I'm counted worthy to be considered to be elect, um, an elect, uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, but I'm not elected. I'm not, I don't have a sustaining vote. You know, I don't hold an office or a position in a religious organization, but those brethren do. And I believe that is who was being spoken of when the term the elect will be deceived. Um, And they are carrying off a a massive um, distortion of truth. And there are variant reasons, I believe, for the brethren to be doing this. Um, I think that first and foremost, reason that they are doing this is because they don't understand the true character of Jesus Christ. They don't, they don't think that we are going to be able to build Zion and create Zion without a fight. Um, and nor I want you to understand too, that I am not advocating at this point, um, to fight necessarily other than to bring truth to light. I don't feel like the time is yet 
for us to fight um, other than, like I said, you know, pushing truth um, and, and being involved in, in breaking the narrative and, and, and that direction. Um, and I, who am I to receive revelation for other people? Let me rephrase what I just said. I don't feel like it's my turn, my time right now to fight. Um, and that kind of falls in line with the scriptures that I wanted to share today. Um, the scriptures that I wanted to share come from Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, which ironically was the Come Follow Me lesson today at church. And we had, I felt the spirit a few times. Uh, I went to church today, last two weeks with my family. <clears throat> I'm repenting. Um not from a, I'm going to fall in line and do everything the brethren say, but I made a covenant with the Lord um, that I actually swore in the name of the Savior to my stake president as I departed that I would support my family uh, in their attending of church. And I dug my heels in after the vaccination garbage letter that was put out and said, I'm not going back. And I had to repent of that attitude. And so I do attend. I, I'm going to attend with my family because here's why. Um, I don't want to be a source of divisiveness within my own home. And what was happening was my kids were starting to want to refuse to go. And believe me, I'm all about agency. And if we could find something better to do with our Sunday for those two hours, then I would do it. Um, but, and we could stay home. But my my wife still wants to attend and um, and one of my, one of my children does and, um, and well, actually two of them do. So in order, not just to keep the peace, because that's not what I'm about either. Um, but in order to maintain some semblance of, of a, a home tradition that we have, um, we, I'm going to, I'm going to go to church. Um, and I also have an opportunity when I'm in that environment to, be a, a voice of truth um, and light. And even though there are, are rumors, obviously, circling about me and, you know, whatever. Um, it was interesting. I'll just share this story really quick. Uh, a friend of mine um, that is in the ward here was accused a while ago of some pretty tough uh, white-collar um, crime that he didn't commit. Um, I knew through the spirit of discernment that he didn't commit it. And then all of that came through um, the sub subsequent process that he went through. Um, and he was teaching the lesson last Sunday when I went to Elders Quorum. Um, and the lesson was on a talk by Elder Golden, I believe is his name, from the 70, from this last conference about preparing for the second coming. And it was interesting because this brother stood up and started to teach and Another man in the room who's a prior member of a stake presidency raised his hand and um, and said, well, you know, I get concerned when I see people go down this road of preparing for the second coming and they get fanatical and, and they lose track of everything. And, and you know what? Like, there is some of that. And I actually agreed with him in the course of the lesson um, that that does happen to people, that they they lose sight of... The bigger picture right which is preparing ourselves and what was beautiful about this lesson was that that whole lesson turned from preparing for the second coming everyone in the room acknowledged that the day is approaching which was great um 
you know, one brother brought up another point, which I really like, which is, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old, so I can almost guarantee you that for me, the second coming is going to happen in the next 40 to 50 years. Um, and, and that actually kicked off the whole discussion about, about discipleship is really where the lesson turned, which was amazing. Um, one of the things that I said at a certain point was I shared, uh, the lectures on faith, lecture six and knowing your course is acceptable. And then I kind of just, you know, in, in that public situation said, you know, there's a lot, I've made decisions over the last four or five years in my life. Um, the last few years specifically, uh, that float around in form of rumor in this building and throughout the church. And, um, and I said, and, and I've had to come to the place to be okay with letting other people say the things that they say about me, hold the opinions and beliefs about me that they hold. And what's beautiful to me is that the genuine friends that I have, excuse me, I have, have actually come to me and asked me personally about my experiences. Um, and in that conversation or in that, in light of that, I, I looked to the front of the room and my, my friend that was facilitating the lesson, um, I said, you know something about that, don't you? Recent events in your life where you were wrongfully accused of something and rumors were spread all over, including by people in this room. And I said, what was your solace in that? Like, how did you come through that? And this brother proceeded to talk about how his relationship with, with Christ grew exponentially through that trial, um, through the through the judicial trial, but also through just the trial in his life of that experience. And he came to know that, you know, in that process that all the leaders in the church are not inspired. Um, I mean, I, I won't go into detail about some of the things that took place, but um, the, the false judgment that was levied upon him by leaders, local leaders of the church, was actually pretty unreal for somebody who was just in the stages of being accused of something, not even actually having done it. Um, and as I watched him grow in that process, and then he was explaining in the class, I was just so blown away. He said, he said something to me that was remarkable. He quoted his favorite scripture, which was, which was talking about the daily reception of the Holy ghost essentially, and said, that's how I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be with the Lord is that I have the spirit of peace with me. And as I continue to work at feeling the spirit every day, then I know that my course is acceptable and that, that the Holy Ghost can't dwell in an unholy temple. And that was such a beautiful, beautiful testimony. And it got very, very real in that room because for him and for me, there are men in that room who had spread rumors about us. And in that moment, we both had an opportunity to proclaim how all of those wrongs that were done to us, um, they actually helped us. That it was the opposition of those experiences and the injustice which helped us to grow. And today's lesson in Sunday school uh, was on Doctrine and Covenants 121, and we didn't cover very much of it, but I'm very familiar with that section. It's one of my favorite sections and chapters in all of scripture. And that is a section where Joseph Smith was in Liberty jail, falsely accused for, um, for things that he hadn't done. Um, and he was there with 
six of his brethren. Sidney Rigdon left partway through, and I think there were just five of them at the end. But um, <clears throat> they st they stayed the whole time with Joseph. Actually, a couple of them had an opportunity to leave, and they they said that they would stay and suffer through that with Joseph, which to me is just amazing. Um, I will tell you, though, um, that as I watched that or rehearsed that in my mind, um, and I think about, in fact, I commented in class today. It's funny, actually, when I... I get, a, I get a kick out of raising my hand and then I start to speak. And um, those who have judged me in the room usually hang their heads, um, almost want to plug their ears because they don't want to hear me speak because of their preconceptions and judgment of me. And it's okay. I actually, I, I have love for them in my heart um, very much. I have a ton of love for them. Um, I do find it uh, mildly entertaining. Um, maybe you call me sick for that, but I, I just, I actually, I think it's funny. Um, but I, I, I raised my hand today and I said this, I said, what's impressive to me about Joseph was that Joseph over and over again, Joseph Smith would be in a situation where he could omit things from the official record that wouldn't become scripture. And yet he puts in there being chastised by the Lord over and over again, like admitting he didn't have it all figured out. And then the Lord would chastise him and get after him and threaten him in certain cases to get after it, to do what he was supposed to do. And then Joseph would go and do it. And I love section 121 because it's real. It's raw. I mean, here is a man who by now has restored more to the earth. I mean, section 121 and when it's written with all the volumes of things that he had written, that he had uh, dictated that were written down, um, not just the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, lectures on faith, like all of those things were, were there. They were finished, right? By the time he's in Liberty Jail. The sum total of everything he had done as a prophet, seer, and revelator, interesting, that's different than what we've had for the last 130 years or whatever, 140 years. Um, more than that, 100, yeah, 140, probably, 130. Um, as a prophet, seer, and revelator, Joseph put it out there. Like he, he put it all out there. He put his, the rebukes that the Lord had given him out there. Um, he put in there this section of Doctrine and Covenants 121 that he received while he was in the jail at Liberty, which isn't that ironic, right? The place, the space of hell where he spent so much time. Uh, it's called Liberty Jail. The irony of that is kind of sad. Um, he's in a dungeon, he's in a hole in the ground, he's cold, he's damp, it stinks, it's, you know, they're living by five of them in a 14 by 14 space, and he receives this revelation. But the beginning of the revelation, he is calling out to God, um, almost complaining, um, and really more concerned about the saints than he was his own suffering. Um, and he says in the very beginning, <clears throat> O God, where art thou? Where And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? How long shall thy hand be stayed, thine, and thine eye, yea, thy pure eye, behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people and thy servants, and thine ear be penetrated with their cries? Yea, O Lord, how long shall they suffer these wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thine heart shall be softened toward them? And thy bowels be moved with compassion for them. 
O Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and seas, and of all things that in them are, and that controllest and, and subjectest the devil and the dark and benighted dominion of Sheol, stretch forth thy hand, and let thine eye, yea, let thy... And let thy pavilion, let thy eye pierce, and let thy pavilion be taken up. Let thy hiding place no longer be covered. Let thine ear be inclined, and let thine heart be softened, and thy bowels be moved to, with compassion towards us. Um, and then he says, "Let thine anger be, you know, kindled against our enemies." And and the and I, I just love the raw nature of Joseph recording this, this revelation, this this conversation with with Christ that he's having, a real conversation. Right, like, he does he have a legitimate beef and complaint? Absolutely. Um, has he been suffering? Yes, but more so, he is concerned about the saints and their suffering. Um, and as a proxy, um, you know, he goes to the Lord for them and says, "Can you please, um, please, you know, let down a little bit, let help out, you know, help them out, give them some reprieve, some relief." And then the Lord's reply, my son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but for a moment, but for a small moment. And if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes and thy friends do stand by thee and they shall hail thee again with warm hands, warm hearts and friendly hands. And there's more blessing that the Lord pronounces upon Joseph. And then the entire section is, is him teaching um, Joseph about charity, um, about long suffering, patience um, through his trials, and really for the saints um, to be patient through their trials. And some people who know me have heard me say this before. Uh, and this is a when I say this, when I make this statement, <clears throat> this irritates a lot of people. Um, I've had people come completely unhinged on me. Um, they have. Um, they have breathed out all kinds of nastiness over this following statement that I'm about to make. Um, but I'll make it anyway. And it is my belief. Um, in fact, I know through personal revelation and study that there really is no such thing as a victim in this world. Um, once every terrible experience we've had has been, begun to be or is leveraged for our growth, then you weren't a victim. We all knew in a predisclosed way, in a very intimate and detailed predisclosed way, that we would suffer in this world, that we would experience what we are experiencing. Um, we knew it. There's, there's no way around it. We knew that we would suffer what we are suffering now. You knew, brothers and sisters, what you were going to go through. You knew that you would be unlawfully oppressed, that people would lie about you, that your church leaders would grind your face, um, you know, that those that are oppressing you, your family, whoever it is, your government, um, would. you knew that they would do those things. And at a minimum, you ratified the plan for your life. I would suggest in an even more intense way, you actually not only ratified that plan, you helped design it. You helped design the afflictions that you would suffer and are suffering here for the purposes of God. So there again, right? Normalizing the abnormal, right? And my opinion, 
to a lot of people is abnormal. I mean, I've had people just get angry, right? And they're like, no, like, so you're saying that the Jews that died in concentration camps weren't victims. And I said, they were victims from a celestial sense. They suffered very terrible things. But the moment that they, their souls that are eternal and forever and on the trajectory and the path to become like God, the moment they make a decision, right? And many of them have, many of them did while they were there. Ellie Weissel is a great example of that. Once they make a decision, once they make that decision to leverage that experience for their growth, all sense of being a victim goes away. And there are no true victims. And if he who lived a perfect life never pulled the victim card, Jesus Christ, then what right does any other being that's ever walked this planet have to say, I'm a victim? And I can say that with some degree of credibility because I've been abused emotionally, physically, sexually, mentally, spiritually. I've been abused. Okay. So am I justifying evil by saying there are no victims? No. Am I justifying my own mistakes and shortcomings because, because I don't believe in victimhood? No. <clears throat> am I minimizing my own suffering or the suffering of other people when I say there are no real victims? No. But those experiences are requisite in order for us to ascend. And Christ submitted. Think about that for a second. He submitted 100% to everything that happened to him. Everything. He, he normalized the abnormal. He submitted to men. He was the creator of this earth. He is the creator of this earth. And all things that you see, and the creator of worlds without number, he submitted himself to leave a celestial sphere of creation to condescend to a telestial world, to be born into a half telestial body, at least, right? I mean, he was a he was subject to death, so it was a telestial body. To experience being victimized by people from nearly day one, Herod sends out an order and starts executing babies and his family's on the run. He's born into a stable. Everything about his life was rough. I'm sure and I know there were moments, moments of bliss and peace, but he suffered his entire life, but he never pulled the victim card. He admitted and acknowledged his circumstance, right? He said, the son of man hath not a place to lay his head. And he talked about him suffering to a degree that is, that is um, beyond our comprehension. He talked about the challenge of, of what he was going through. And yet he stayed in a place of charity. He allowed that experience. He didn't allow that experience to to ruin his existence, to ruin his life, to, to cause him to come out of charity, to cause him to put a placard around his neck and call himself a victim. 
Um, he just didn't. He did not allow himself to to go to the place where he felt like he was a victim of his circumstances because he understood suffering. He understood why it was that he was going through what he was going through. He understood and knew that he needed that experience for his own growth, but also so that he could succor us in our suffering. So if Jesus never pulled a victim card, and if you interview him and talk with him, ask him, you feel like you were a victim? Because I've asked him, and he said, absolutely not. I knew what I was getting into. If I was a victim of anyone, it was my own self for putting myself in that circumstance. But he, he wasn't a victim. So when these persecutions come, he meant what he said. Count it all joy when you fall into affliction and men persecute you, revile you, and speak all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. For so persecuted they the prophets before you. Right? Like, he said count it all joy. And I'm not very good at that, brothers and sisters. I have to admit, I am not great at counting it all joy. Because there are moments where the suffering's intense, where I've been falsely accused of all kinds of things, called all kinds of names, had salacious things printed about me on the internet. Uh, and I know worse is going to come for me. And worse will come for all of us who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. And yet, it's okay. And if I understand that somebody adjacent to me, proximate to me, who's quote-unquote doing these things to me, is doing them because they think what they're doing is right, and I can understand that they are playing a role for me that needs to be played. They're playing a role adjacent to me in opposition to me that has to absolutely be the way it is. And what's interesting to me is as I observe and watch people who are going through the same transitions we are and realizing that a lot of things that they thought were true aren't, and a lot of things that they thought were foundational and a, you know, a rock solid foundation uh, underneath of them aren't that, um, i.e. the church. Um, they're having to work through, we all do, <clears throat> a lot of emotion. Um, and yes, you know, am I willing to stand on the carpet and say that these are evil and conspiring times and there are evil and conspiring men inside, outside the church and all over the place who are doing terrible things? Yes. You know, is it right? No, it's not right. Is it supposed to be this way? Yes. You know, I've talked about this before. God put us down here on the planet, said, okay, well, here's the program of agency. You guys get to operate in agency. I'm going to let you uh, operate in this and give you sharp objects, run around, um, you know, don't kill each other. Um, you know, and, and basically God intervenes seldomly in the program of men. Um, he, he seldomly intervenes in this mess of the world. Um, he, he hardly ever intervenes um, in, in anything. Um, you know, I mean, I can think of a few instances, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, 
and you know when he allowed Joshua um, you know and the and the children of Israel to go in and inherit the promised land and they put a pretty good thump into the people of Ai and Jericho and other places um, but but God doesn't do that as a rule he allows agency to happen and there's collateral damage because of it but it's supposed to be that way the building blocks of gods and goddesses come from suffering from struggle from operating in a telestial world and living godly principles in a telestial world applying celestial godly eternal principle adjacent to other beings who have the same capacity to become gods that you do and I do. Um, and yet <clears throat> we get into this veiled environment and we beat the tar out of each other and it hurts and it's terrible. But if we can sit back and look at the why of someone doing that, the purpose for our lives, we're going to find some amazing growth happening for ourselves. And because of that, if we're able to stay in charity, we're going to be able to recognize that growth happening in other people. And when we get past this veil of tears, we will have an opportunity like Joseph had many, many times with people who had betrayed him and come back. When Oliver Cowdery came back, I don't know if Joseph penned this phrase, if he'd planned to say it, or if it was from someone else. But Joseph is reported to have said to Oliver Cowdery, who had betrayed him, come on, dear brother, now that the war is past, for friends at first are friends again at last. Neither man was pretentious in that situation. And he had an opportunity to forgive a few of them a few times. We've talked about it in a previous podcast with Oliver Hyde who um, betrayed him, Oliver Hyde, uh, Orson Hyde, sorry, um, who betrayed him a couple of times, um, and he brought him back. In fact, he reordained him as an apostle and sent him on a mission. So, yeah, there is, there's no room at the end of the day for anyone to be a victim. If Christ never pulled the victim card, then none of us truly can. That doesn't minimize suffering. I'm not minimizing suffering, pain, anguish, struggle, strife, or anything we've been through at all. I'm simply not because that would be, that would be also dishonest. Um, but I am being truthful according to what I know. And these experiences are perfect. And if they weren't perfect or in line with God's will for you, he would intervene. And yet he doesn't. And yet every single one of you listening to my voice have a testimony of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we step back and see just how committed our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Mother, the God family, including Christ, are to the plan of agency? Look at what they allow to happen. It is intense. It is disturbing and painful <clears throat> and he has also laid out the plan of justice for those who hurt his little ones which are you and I and you know that's that there is a distinction though we can hurt somebody 
and I've done it, we've all done it, right? We can hurt somebody because we're conditioned to react certain ways or act certain ways in a telestial world. And we can hurt somebody even if we don't mean to. And that's not to excuse that either. And and I will publicly right now repent and, and apologize to anyone in the name of Jesus Christ that I've hurt. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Okay. So there's a difference between us bumbling around down here in a veiled environment, right? With sharp objects poking each other on accident versus those who have made a covenant with death, right? There is a distinction. However, our view of others shouldn't change and shift. It's my opinion and it's scripturally founded that there are very few people who who will stay malicious forever. That beings that we see as beyond hope and help will and can repent. I mean, there's some powerful examples of that in the Book of Mormon of that type of redemption. <clears throat> King Lamoni, um, Alma the Younger, claimed to be a vile, the vilest of sinner. So there are all kinds, right? And I mean, Alma the Younger was running around fighting against the kingdom of God on the earth. So he was in a pretty bad place. And I'm sure he'd had some amazing witnesses and powerful spiritual experiences. Um, and yet the Lord brought him back. So... You know, Alma the Elder. I mean, he was a wicked priest of King Noah. I mean, he was he was a part of the Quorum of the Twelve in his day. You know, living living high on the on the hog, and you know, and he was not a good man. And yet he repented, right? So so think about that. When you're being victimized, quote unquote, on the telestial plane, right, by somebody, see them as having the same capacity to ascend as you do. See them playing a necessary role for you. And they're playing it out of ignorance. If they had already attained the godly principles necessary to not do what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing it. So obviously they're working through their own process of ascension. So again, I, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but there are no real victims. And I know that that makes people, some people angry and I'm sorry, but there just aren't because as soon as we choose to leverage what we've experienced, that's terrible abuses we've endured, etc. As soon as we leverage that to stand in greater degrees of sovereignty and power and to leverage the miracle of forgiveness, I know that's a phrase that is controversial because of the book that was written that was fairly salacious and not true, but portions of it. There were portions of that book where I did feel the spirit, by the way, uh, which is another point I'll get to in a second. I feel like I need to cover this. Um, in fact, I'll just get to it now. I think this is all leading really well into that. I'm watching people. They're so focused on trying to build the kingdom of God in their view that they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm watching people completely toss every good thing that's come from their upbringing because they're they're seeing it and labeling it as evil. And I'm not saying anything I'm about to say to you as far as examples go in any way of or degree of judgment other than 
that I have to be careful myself to not get so black and white that I throw the baby out with the bathwater. So one example of, of things is I've watched people do this huge campaign of recent against Halloween. And while I agree that the cabal, right, and Lucifer loves it when people get dressed up like dark, murderous, blood-sucking things, right, and, and you know, and they pretend to be that thing for Halloween, Lucifer does love that because he loves darkness and he loves evil. But there's nothing inherently evil about my eight-year-old daughter dressing up like a mermaid, and she wasn't in a scantily clad mermaid suit. It was very, very fashionable, but also very, very modest. Going to a church parking lot, interacting with her friends, and getting candy. There's nothing evil about that, right? And we've always allowed our kids' agency to be what they wanted for Halloween, and they've always chosen to be beings of light. One year, the twins dressed up as a magician and a rabbit, you know? I mean, they've always chosen a train conductor, you know, all of these little a princess, right? They've, they've chosen that. And, and I think it's because we've emphasized that. And if they had chosen to dress up like Dracula or whatever, I probably would have been like, you know, I don't really agree with that, but okay. You know, so, and I, I guess an example to me from years past where, where people were so polarized on what they view to be evil that they couldn't see the hypocrisy that they were exhibiting in one side, out of one side of their mouth, right? And, and people could say that about me and that's fine. I'm, tr I'm doing my best not to be a hypocrite. That's a term that the Lord threw at the Pharisees and Sadducees a lot, and I'm doing my absolute best, brothers and sisters, not to be a hypocrite. But I knew a family who had gotten to this polarized place, and they're like, oh, no, <clears throat> we don't let our kids watch Harry Potter or read the books because they're evil, and they're about darkness and blah, blah, blah. And... <clears throat> And I have a different opinion. As I watch the Harry Potter series, I can very clearly see dark and light, right? There are dark wizards who use magic darkly, and there are light wizards who use magic with, you know, for the intention of good. And the good, the good ones, the good uh, wizards are only fight the bad wizards when their back is against the wall, which is to me a godly principle. They don't go looking on offense for the bad wizards in order to take them out, the bad wizards always surface and try to take them out. So, but this family was like, no, we don't do the Harry Potter thing, right? And I was like, okay, and I can honor that. Like, okay, that's fine. I understand that. And I respect it because that's their choice and that's their agency. But then I walk in their door one day and they're watching the Lord of the Rings series. And I'm like, uh, I'm in my mind. I never confronted them on that because it's not my job to confront them. But I'm like, there are wizards in Harry Potter in the Lord of the Rings series. Gandalf is a wizard. Sauron is dark magic, right? Um, and I don't remember what the name of the 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 white wizard that turned dark in the tower. Um, but he wasn't a good he wasn't a good wizard. Like right? he turned dark, he turned evil. So uh, I think that was Saruman. Um, anyways, so you know, well, you know, and I've heard people, well, but that was written by J.R. Tolkien and he was a Christian. And I'm like, okay. Right. And the Narnia series, I mean, you have half animal, half people in that. And it, so my point is Lucifer's trying to polarize everyone, right? Do I see the wrong and evil? And have I called out the wrong and the evil that I, that I have observed in politicians 
and in church leaders, etc. Yes. And because they're public figures, I don't have any problem putting their name, attaching their name to it, especially if they're things that they said. Do I still love them? Yes, absolutely. I absolutely do love them. And the, the scriptures that I'm going to close with in section 121 are so poignant for now. I sit in a church and there are people wearing masks and my perception is many of them are wearing them because they feel it's the right thing to do and I'm not there to judge them. Do I think that it's silly? <laughs> That's my personal opinion. Yes, wearing masks is silly. That The science doesn't even support the masks, but that's okay. And what is their intention, right? Their intention is to follow the prophet, right? Have I been there myself? Yes. So should I cast stones down the ladder because someone below me doesn't see the, the view that I have? No. They don't, they don't understand things the way I do? No. Right? That's hypocritical. So I don't cast stones. Do I think it by, by I guess, by saying it's silly, I, I believe it's silly, um, th that could be considered casting stones. But I don't, I don't sit there in church and pass judgment on them for wearing a mask. It's an opportunity for me to exercise charity and just be like, I think masks are silly, but I don't think they're silly. I think that they're doing what they feel like is right. And I support that because I love agency. I love the program of agency. I love that they get to make that choice and that I get to make a different choice. And then I get to love them anyway. I love them anyway. I love people. I have family members who debate on whether or not they want to get together with us for holidays because we're not vaccinated. And that hurts. But I still love and honor their ability to choose. I honor it so much that I'd still be willing to die for them for any cause to support their decision to choose. I have my own personally held opinions about the development of this vaccine and its covenant with death and it's being perpetuated and evil and death and pain are being caused. But I honor their choice and I honor their agency to choose that for themselves. And to me, brothers and sisters, that is the point. And that is the being abnormal right? That is being not normal because a lot of other people, most other people in the world are polarizing right now. They're buying into the fight against each other rather than seeing the truth for what it should be and staying in charity with one another. So here are these, these verses of scripture and I'll share them with you. And, and as a closing thought, okay, again, section 121, Here's what we have going. And I want you to listen to the Lord's tone. <clears throat> um, it's very, very pointed language that he uses. Very, very pointed language that he uses in describing the fallacies that people are participating in. Okay. And then by the end, his commentary in the last two verses are, is the point that I'm trying to make. Okay. So I want you to listen to this that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled upon the nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness that they may be conferred on us upon us it is true but when we undertake to cover our sins to gratify our pride 
our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of men, upon the souls of the children of men, in any degree of unrighteousness, behold, the heavens withdraw themselves, the spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is in withdrawn, amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. Behold, heir, he is aware, he is left to kick, left unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints, and to fight against God. We have learned by sad experience that it is the nature and disposition of almost all men, as soon as they have a little authority as they suppose, that they will immediately begin to, un, to exercise unrighteous dominion. Hence, many are called, but few are chosen. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by, the, by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness, by meekness, by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. Now here's, the, here's some pointed language. Reproving betimes with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost and then showing forth afterwards an increase of love toward whom, him whom thou hast reproved, lest he should esteem thee to be his enemy. That they may know that thy faithfulness is stronger than the cords of death. I have reproved with sharpness Elder Stevenson, Elder Cook, President Nelson, President Oaks, but I testify to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I love them. And that my willingness to die for them to choose is as strong as the cords of death. Stronger than the cords of death. I love them. Are they wrong? Yes. Is what they're doing detrimental to the whole plan and they're screwing everything up? Nope, it actually is the plan. It's the law of opposition. They're playing their role that God put them here to play perfectly. And for that, I love them. And I long for the day when I can embrace them and tell them thank you for playing the role of opposition that I needed so that I could remember how to stand in charity and love my enemies, just like the Lord told me to. Thank you. And I don't view you as my enemy. I view you as my brother. I long for that day and it will come. <clears throat> Verse 45 and 46 are the most pointed of the entire section. In fact, these are two of the most pointed and powerful scriptures in all of scripture. And they are two of my favorites. Let thy bowels be full of charity towards all men and to the household of faith. And let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. And thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion and without compulsory means 
it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. And that when he appears, we shall see him as he is, because we shall be like him. Brothers and sisters, no matter what you've been through, no matter how horrific the experiences you have had or are having are, those experiences, just like Joseph's when he was in that jail in Liberty, shall be for your good and for your experience. That is what that means. Not just, oh yeah, I kind of got through that and I muddled through it. But in the moment when you're suffering like Joseph was, you can learn just how precious and very needed for your own soul that experience is. And when I think of his example of people betraying him over and over and over again, and him always longing for and looking forward to the day when he could embrace them and tell them it's okay. I forgive you. I forgave you then. I forgive you now. That is the power of godliness. When Christ himself, to whom we all owe everything, is hanging from the cross, looks down upon those who placed him there by their vote in choosing Barabbas over him and his freedom, looks down upon those who nailed him, those Romans who nailed him to the cross and looks down upon you and upon me because our sins are hanging there with him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did he endure some very wrong things? Yes. Have I? Yes. But it's not about what happened to us. It's about what we tell ourselves about what happened to us that matters and how we leverage that experience to grow into gods and goddesses. Brothers and sisters, I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that everything you're experiencing and going through right now is exactly what you should be experiencing and going through and that you will leverage it in your eternal progress for your growth. And I testify to you that this is true. And I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that if it wasn't right and you weren't doing what you're supposed to be right now, God would take you off the earth. If you were going to spoil the plan for you and your experience and you were messing it up or you weren't doing it right, he'd take you out. But he is so committed to you experiencing this the way that you need to that he allows you to stay and allows you to continue to go through the experiences you're having in order to continue to ascend. You are where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I know the tr the same is the truth is true for me. And I testify to you brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ, that I long for and look forward to the day when I see you and even many of my enemies in Zion and beyond that in the eternal worlds 
that we can all be reunited with our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother and our Savior Jesus Christ and the God family as fully ascended, having obtained every principle of godliness in its perfection. And I testify to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, that that day will come for all of us. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I will close with a chant that I have come to love that is part of who I am. Hoorah, hoorah, hoorah for Israel. God be with you until we meet again.